Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sterling's Business Success and Coffee Podcast, kindly sponsored and supported by Sterling's group coaching programs and Fix This Next. This free online business assessment tool enables you to pinpoint your business's vital need. Keep listening for top business tips and advice to help you level up and scale up. Here's your host, Simon Meadows. Hi, everyone, and welcome to today's episode in which I'm joined by Randy Crane. Now, Randy is in one of my favorite locations in the world. He's based in Canada and just north of Toronto, which is one of my favorite cities in the world. But Randy is affectionately known as the fearless marketer. In a nationally acclaimed sales and marketing expert, and it has been doing this for over 40 years with experience with many global brands and startups. He is passionate about leadership and emotional marketing strategies that deliver real value to customers and having impact on businesses. Randy is a mentor, a visionary, and a true master of his craft, inspiring others to reach for their greatness and achieve their dreams. Welcome to today's podcast, Randy. Good to have you with us. Simon, thank you so much for having me on the show. I'm really excited about doing the show together with you. And yeah, um, we were talking before we started about Toronto, and I, I forgot to ask a, a question. We'll, we'll ask this question before we, we get into the coffee talk, but ice hockey is one of the games that I follow. I, I'm, I'm not a soccer fan. I'm not a, a ball sport fan. So I love the fact that a puck is not round. Is ice hockey a game that you're interested in? If it is, who's the team that you support? Well, you know, it's interesting. I, um, for years, uh, I supported the Toronto Maple Leafs. Okay. And, um, you know, as a young boy, I, uh, I used to go out to the, uh, um, to the back of Maple Leaf Gardens. Yep. And um, the owner of the Toronto Maple Leafs at the time was Harold Ballard. And he would come out to the uh, Wood Street entrance, which was at the back. And he'd open up the door. And for everybody who got an A on their test, he would allow the kids to come in for free. Really? Yeah, he would buy a hot dog and a drink and some popcorn. <laughs> and then you could sit in some of the empty seats and watch the hockey games. So oh, I, I used to do that. And um, um, my son, uh, my my one son grew up in hockey and my son had him. And, uh, you know, I supported him all the way through. And, uh, you know what? And then after that, I think I kind of just got tired of it. And, uh but today, I like to still watch the odd hockey game. Yeah, yeah. With Toronto, but you know what? It's when I started in hockey, it was it was six teams. You yeah. know, today it's sixty teams, and you know, it's just so hard to keep track of anything. Yeah, yeah. And all the different you know? leagues and the conference leagues oh, yeah. that they're in. Yeah, it's 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 a whole thing, isn't it? Yeah. But I, yeah. I, I'm a I'm a Calgary Flames fan, as I mentioned. You know, what Calgary is another one of my favorite cities, so I'm a Flames fan. Sure. And there's something special about going to a live game as well. I, mean, I watch it on the TV here over in the UK, but there's nothing beats sitting in the crowd. And the thing oh, I like no. about ice hockey, and we'll talk about this in marketing as well, is that you, know, you sit in the stands and you're sat with all the other fans. And you could be sat next to... I mean, I've sat next to somebody who's being a, you know, a Leafs fan or a Canucks fan. And everybody has such a great time because they're there to support the game of hockey as well as the team. Gotcha. And, every, and everybody just gets on. And that's something quite unique, I think, to, to hockey in particular. 
Oh, um, absolutely. And you know what? You're right. There's nothing like the experience no. of going to a game. I mean, the excitement uh, before the game begins, even, you know, getting on the, getting on the subway and, and going downtown with the anticipation of, of going to the game. Yeah. What you're going to see and, and the feeling of the people sitting next to you, the smells in the, in the, uh, uh of the rink and and everything about it yeah it is sensational yeah and and, and i think we'll, we'll we'll pick up on that uh in a short while because i think from a marketing point of view i have a phrase the circus is coming to town and that anticipation of the transaction that anticipation of you know the the product or the service you're going to buy is really, really important if you're the person selling it to create that emotional connection to that because everything we just talked about is emotion, isn't it? It's, it's what drives oh. us. It's what makes our decisions. It, it, without a doubt. And, you know, I'm glad you mentioned the uh, uh, the circus is coming to town. I'm a big fan of the uh, <coughs> the greatest show on earth. Yeah. Um, Barton and Bailey Circus. And, um, <coughs> you know, I've studied... Uh, um, I've started uh, 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 Barnum and Bailey for for years, yeah. And because I think you know, back in the eighteen hundreds, I mean, they didn't have the uh, social media and the uh, uh, the television and the internet. They didn't have any of that. Yeah. So really, what they had was the word of mouth and the uh, and and the way of being able to drive emotion. Into the hearts of people, and and that's what uh, his success was based on. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So talking about anticipation, then you know I get the same anticipation. I'm getting very excited about the time of year, and Starbucks, one of my favourite coffee stores over here, is going to be doing as well as other stores out there. Going to be doing the gingerbread lattes, and yeah, I can taste it, smell it, feel it even now, and get emotionally connected to it. Tell us, tell us what kind of coffee you drink. Randy and why? Well, you know what? It's funny. I, um, I'm not a big lover of commercialized um, takeout coffee. Okay. <laughs> Although I do like a latte every now and then, and I yep. do every now and then have an espresso. <clears throat> I, I drink, um, I've been drinking the same coffee uh, for years. And uh, it's a brand I get from uh, uh, from a company called Deja Brew Coffee in, in Canada. Okay. It's, uh, you know what? They're, um, I, I've been drinking it for a few years, and it's, it's a great product. Yeah. Okay. And uh, it's still privatized. Uh, you know, the guy lives in Toronto, and he roasts his own beans. It's, uh, it, it's, it's a great product. It, it's one of those... Um, boutique very niche type of coffee yeah and, and how do you take your coffee you know if you if, you, uh, if you're so favorite of that how do you take it not cream and sugar yep okay. yep i'm a cream and sugar guy i always have been great well I, I had some blood tests taken today earlier on and my blood pressure was slightly high and they're testing me for cholesterol and he he said I bet, I bet you're a dairy guy. I bet you, you have milk in your tea, milk in your coffee and cream. I said, no, absolutely not. You know, all my coffee is black. So he said, oh, well, we've got to try and work out what else is going off then. So, uh, yeah, interesting. Well, you know, it's, it's funny too because, I mean, I find that, ca that caffeine, good quality caffeine, um, 
raises your energy level where poor quality caffeine does not. Mm. Now, you know, I was, I was looking at a study a little while ago and um, they were saying that, you know, companies, uh, 50% of all of the coffee beans in the world are bought out by four different companies in the world. Right. Okay. Um, Kraft, Procter & Gamble, um, I can't think of the other two, but uh, but Kraft was one of them. Yeah, and um, and uh, to me, I look at that and I think, well, you know what? They're probably buying the lowest part of the of the market share, the cheapest part, right? And um, you know, when I look at companies like Tim Hortons and Starbucks and uh, companies that are putting a big volume of product, that's probably where it's coming from. Um, on the other hand. You know, the the higher end coffees, um, the Deja Brews and, and other uh, more expensive coffees have a higher quality, higher quality, not quantity of caffeine. Yeah. But the quality of the caffeine is what's really a kind of important here. This is what gives you energy, uh, you know. And again, I, I, I don't have any scientific proof about this. No. I just uh, have know that there's enough proof out there yeah 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 okay. and it and it's interesting because we had a guy very early in in the podcast series who was uh, actually uh, a tea uh, business uh, and he was very heavily involved in tea processing over in in india and he said yeah. exactly the same thing with teas he said when he comes to uk he won't drink our normal tea out of a tea bag he said because i've seen where that tea comes from and he said exactly the same thing it is the bottom of the pile yeah it's well, it's it's all the tea that is as you say is the lower quality tea because the higher quality tea goes to you know the people who really buy it because it's quality not because of quantity so yeah absolutely you know it's interesting simon you know my uh my wife Lori has got this has been on a health kick for a little while and and um during the pandemic, we found that um, pine needles were, were, she came back to me and she said to me, you know, we got to get uh, white pine needles. And I said, well, what for? And she said, well, you, you put it into a tea and you drink it. Okay. And I said, and uh, the health benefits are huge. Yeah. And um, I said, really? And she said, yeah. I said, I've never heard of that before. She said, okay, well, she says, let's try it. And you know what? Uh, I don't know whether it's making me any healthier, but uh, it, it it tastes fine. Yeah, yeah. Okay. And, uh, I mean, of course, you know, she's an advocate of it. She's like, oh, you, you know what? This is the reason you don't get sick, what have you. And, yeah. Uh, but on the other hand, too, I'm just getting over being sick. <laughs> and when, when, I, when I took sick, she... Uh, there's a weed that grows on the side of the road called mullet. And uh, she goes out and she strips off the leaves off the mullet weed, cuts it up into uh, and, and puts it into a tea. And I can tell you firsthand, you know what? I mean, it got all of the stuff in my chest moving and, and everything. Yeah, yeah. So, you know what? Like I said, it's, I, I look at tea as a more of an organic process yeah okay i mean it, it, they, i mean they've been drinking tea for thousands of years yeah 
and it, and for medicinal benefits. It's got to have some. It's got to have some medicinal benefits. Yeah. So, yeah. you know, that's what I kind of look at it. But you know, my my go to drink is coffee, man. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Uh, and I've got some some teas, and I'm, I'm a big honey drinker as well. So I love my water, hot water, and honey in the morning uh, from from my own bees, and and yeah, that's really good. Oh so, wow, really? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I haven't got any bees at the moment. I, I lost them all. Uh, some wasps attacked them and destroyed both both of the hives that I've got. So I lost both both hives, but uh, I've got plenty of honey left, and I'm going to kick it off again next year. So we'll see how it goes. Pretty good. But t talking about the title affectionately affectionately known as the fearless marketer yeah. give us a little bit of a backstory behind that randy if you would tell us a oh. little bit about how you got into it and how you became affectionately known as that and 40 years of experience so uh, yeah tell us a little bit about the backstory okay so it all started for me my father was a salesman and um you know he was a really good salesman like he was one of those guys, my dad sold tools for a living. So, you know, he would go out and he would sell his tools to, uh, you know, auto mechanics and uh, uh, motorcycle gangs. I mean, he sold it everywhere. But everybody loved my dad because, you know, he was always friendly, very kind. man. And it was that kindness that I really found, found it in myself to want to be like that, that kindness was very important. So, and, and just with regards to my dad, my dad died in 1969. Um, all of his customers came to the funeral, wow. which I thought was pretty, pretty amazing. Yeah. And um, to me, that was kind of like a life well lived, right? So I had grown up in the church and uh, my mother made a point of making sure that I went to church every week and, and um, I guess somewhere in my adolescence, I decided I was going to become a priest. Mm -hmm. So I, I went through uh, all the things I needed. You know, I was a choir boy, altar boy, did all of those things in the Catholic yeah. Church, and, and um, studied being a, a studied to be a, church, uh, a priest. Anyways, about six weeks before you you take your vows, they give you an interview. While they were interviewing me, I was kind of interviewing them because there was, I always had a problem with the Catholic Church that I didn't figure I was getting the real truth. Okay. That the truth was kind of being hidden from me. And, and um, so I aired my concerns. I, you know, I said, well, you know, I wanted to talk about the political times during the time of Jesus. I mean, let's face it, you got, you got three or four different political parties all fighting for the same people. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's got to be causing issues. And, well, you know, you know, you don't talk about that. And I said, okay, well, let's talk about the financial situation at the time, you know. Oh, no, 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 we don't talk about that. And, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I'm not getting answers to these questions. And these questions are going to be re relevant to me. Sure. And um, so after the interview, you know, we, I sat down with my, my bishop and he said to me, he says, you know, Randy, why don't, we, why don't you take time off to reconsider or to reevaluate your vocation? And I said, you know what, I think that's a good idea. Um, that was 40 years ago and I'm still reevaluating. But uh, <laughs> long and the short is, I, I, so I left the church. I uh, 
and I had to make some money. I had to, you know, I had to get a real, you know, real job. Yeah. And um, so I got into uh, sales and then I, I really had an interest in marketing. And, but meanwhile, you know, I, I wanted to keep my, my religious studies going. So I started reading not only the Bible, I, I read the Bhagavad Gita, I read the, uh, I read books from Lasu, I, you know, I Ching, I read all kinds, the Gnostic, everything, yeah. everything I could lay my hands on, I was reading. And I was studying marketing at the same time because I, I wanted to understand the, um, I wanted to understand the uh, how people think and why they make decisions the way they do. Yeah. And sometime over the last forty years, you know, my religious studies are here and my my marketing studies are here, and the two just kind of became one. That's and um, and for me, that's when uh, emotion marketing was born. For me, and uh, it's it's been that way ever since. And just to uh, go into the next part of the story, I, I, uh, you know, I worked for a major brewer company in Canada. I worked for a major convention company in Canada. And um, to me, what ended up happening was I was hired by the senior executives of the company. Um, I was there on a, on a contract with them. And, uh, you know, over a period of time, they decided that the president of the company wasn't doing the job right the way they wanted it. So the shareholders got rid of him, brought in somebody new. And of course the new person wanted to bring in their own people. So my job was out. Hmm. That happened to me a couple of times. And then I realized after twice, if I'm going to get canned, I'm going to get canned at my own hand, not at somebody else's. Yeah, yeah, completely agree. So I, uh, I started a marketing company. And um, uh, like I said, I, I this was 1992 or 93. Right. And um, I immediately just started looking for clients. Yeah. And my one of my first clients I got was a guy by the name of Weiss. And um, he was a really bad marketing guy. Nice fella. German fella, actually. Mm. And anyways, I, I responded to an ad in the paper and I said to him, I said, look, I said, he says, well, how much experience of marketing have you got? And I said, told him what I had. He said, well, how long have you been working on your own? I said, about a month. He said, well, you know what? He says, you're just a young guy. He says, you know nothing. Hmm. You need to learn. Hmm. And I said, okay. So I was so broke. I would have taken any job at that point. Yeah, sure. And, um, so anyways, I go to work for the guy and um, he puts out these marketing campaigns are just horrible. I mean, God, and every time he does it, he gets zero. Yeah. But Weiss had a lot of money, so he didn't care. He just said, well, you know, eventually it'll kick in. <laughs> he would send over ad copy to the newspaper and the editor desk would send it back saying, you know what? We can't print this kind of language in the newspaper and then he would get all upset and what have you and anyways this goes on for a couple of years and i'm still working with him Mm. and he turns around he says i said to him look i said you know this is painful 
I just can't do this anymore. And he said, what do you mean? I said, well, every time you do a, a marketing campaign, you come up with zero. I mean, it's painful just to watch it happen. So I said, why don't you let me do the marketing? Oh, no. He says, you know, you don't know anything. And I said, well, you know what? I think I, I think I know more yeah, yeah. than this. Anyways, he said, he said, no, no, no. But his wife convinced him to give me a try. So he turns around. He says, uh, okay, but I'll give you a try. But if you, if it doesn't turn out any sales, you pay. And I okay. said, okay. I'll Interesting. Pay. Yep. So we turned around and um, I created a campaign. Um, and we, we put it out for a 90 day period, which was pretty much the norm as he was doing. Yep. And during that 90 day period, I mean, we generated a huge amount of money for that. And he was so ecstatic by it. He said to me, he says, you know, he says, I didn't think that would work. Hmm. I said, well, you know, I, I, I really didn't. And honestly, the way I was looking at it is, I mean, you'd done zero. So if I even sold one. Yeah, that was better. Oh, it would be better than what you're doing. Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. So anyway, he, um, he says to me, he says, you know what? He says, you are the fearless marketer. Ah. He says, your name's not Randy anymore. He says, your name is Fearless, and I'm going to call you that. <laughs> and right. you know what? Next, for the next seven years, um, that's what he did. And um, that's where Fearless Marketer came from. Ah, great. Weiss died in 2002, and um, uh, but I worked with him for 10, 11 years. Yeah. Wow. Great story. And, you know, hearing that and hearing the the history of that and where you came from, and particularly your father and the importance of kindness in sales as well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I can see, uh, you know, behind you, which other people can't, that, you know, you've got a green screen there and we're talking yeah. our podcast now. Things have changed so much, you know, certainly exponentially in the last four or five years. What, what is it that's been... Um, something that's been so important and so significant for you and perhaps how you've had to change or that you've embraced change in your business or in marketing? What have you seen? Well, you know, for me, Simon, it's been, I guess, a little bit different than it's been for most people. I mean, I've been doing marketing for 43 years. Yeah. Um, I've never done anything else. So I didn't leave the industry to go, uh, drive a bus or I didn't leave the industry to become this or become that. I've always just done the same thing. Um, and I think for me, it was back in the eighties and, and it's, um, you know, when the internet first started coming out, which was in the late eighties, early nineties, yeah. you know, I remember I had a little computer and I paid a fortune for this computer because it was back in the eighties and P PCs are, weren't even around then. Yeah. Mine was a, a TRS-80 that I got from Radio Shack. Hmm. Okay. And, um, but I realized one thing in the 80s, and that is that computerization is going to become the new norm in marketing. I didn't know how it was going to work. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but I knew computerization was going to be there. And if I were going to, if I'm going to make it to 60, 
I better learn it. So I started teaching myself D bass and Lotus one, two, three, and, oh, and Cobol yeah. um, and yeah. uh, languages that are, are obsolete today. And um, I started learning how that would work. And then the internet came out in the early nineties. And I thought, I thought, you know what, this is, uh, <laughs> this is going to be a game changer. So I'm really kind of glad that I had the foresight back then. Yeah. Okay. To, to move into, and it allowed to me because as the escalation of the nineties took place and the transition from old advertising agencies in the eighties to the new modernized ad agency of the, of the millennium that changed the outlook of everything. Yeah. The day that the television set, uh, I mean, even though people still think it's a TV, it's not really a TV. It's a smart TV, which is really correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a a streaming device, isn't it? Yeah. It's a streaming device. And um, it's not the same as that, you know, the boob tube that you had sitting in your living room when you were a kid. Yeah. Therefore, the commercials that they put on, on the TV are different than the commercials you see today. Um, social media has such a big play in, in how we do things in a digital world. You know, the way I grew up, I was into TV, radio, magazines, newspapers, <coughs> guerrilla marketing, yeah. um, which was very popular. You know, I mean, you know, the, uh, doing flyers on, on your windshield or the guy walking down the street in a chicken outfit wearing a. Uh, an A-frame sign saying, buy your chicken here. You know, those days are long gone for us. Yeah. There are, there are new formulations of marketing that are rising up from the ashes. Yeah. And the ingenuity and the thought, um, uh, the thought leaders today <laughs> are those people that rose from those ashes, people like Seth Godin, yeah. uh, Russell Brunson, uh, you know, I, maybe to a great degree, Anthony Robbins, you know, Ron Popeil, yeah. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. uh, you know, the pocket fisherman. I mean, you know, this has all been part of that transition to get marketing to where it is today. The day of the huge ad agency that controls 90% of the business out there is gone. They don't live anymore. Yeah. Yeah. So true. So true. So if people want to find out more about you, uh, Randy, and more of the, the the sort of experience that you have and that real passion that you have for both leadership and, as you said, emotional marketing. We've talked about emotion a couple of times. Where do people go to find out more about you? Oh, you can go to my website at www.fearlessmarketer.com. <clears throat> you can drop me an email at randy at fearlessmarketer.com, or you can, my phone number is on the website. Pick up the phone and give me a shout. Give you a ring. Or you can, uh, you can reach out to me through social media. I'm on like all of them. So, yeah. Right. So, I, I want to ask a question bef- before I ask you to share a tip with the, with the listeners. You know, we've talked about the circus, we've talked about emotion, we've talked about ice hockey and, and the crowds and that feeling of getting there uh, and arriving at the rink, etc. 
what would you say is with the people you've worked with one of the most emotional triggers that gets people to stop where they're going and look at something else so if i'm you know on my way to the hockey rink and i'm walking down with everybody else i'm surrounded by billboards and other things i've got social media popping up at me very often we need to stop people in their tracks don't we we need to get their attention but we need to do that in emotion are there any emotional triggers that you uh, have seen that you'd like to share with us that you know you've either worked with or you've seen in your clients oh you know what everything you know let's before we address that answer let's let's look at something very clear first of all human beings are emotionally are emotionally driven mm. beings okay we we make our decisions we live our life based on the emotions that we have contrary to popular belief and, and you know i i grew up and my parents probably taught you the same thing you know uh, as a, as your parents taught you simon is that you know simon you have to start making logical decisions Human beings don't make logical decisions. Human beings make emotional decisions, and then they um, they try to rationalize it or make reason of it after the fact. Yeah, completely. Agree. Human beings are emotional creatures. That's why we are human beings. We're being human. Yeah. Okay. Um, the key with this is is that every human being is emotionally connected to their needs, wants, desires, and problems in life. They're emotionally connected to it. Mm. So the idea of me going out as a salesman and saying, you know, hi, Simon, my name is Randy. I'm working with XYZ. We've been in business for 20 years. We had the best people, the best price, the best product. We have the best delivery. We have the best warranty, blah, blah, blah. None of that is inspiring, and it's not going to inspire you to buy anything. They, yeah. they may be nice to know, but it's not going to drive somebody to want to buy from you. So if that's not going to do it, what is? It's going to be the emotional connection that that person has to either the copy you're writing, the imagery you deliver, the value you deliver, yeah. or the feelings of association that I create. Now, if I'm a salesperson going out and talking to a customer, I want to find out A, why I'm there, B, I want to find out what his problem is, and how does that problem make you feel? Okay? You know, I could be, uh, you know, I'm a plumber, and I come to your house, and I say to you, I say, uh, well, you know what? You say to me, well, listen, you know, we've got uh, water all over my floor. How does that make you feel? Well, it makes me feel bad. Well, what are the feelings? Like what bad making me feel sad is a feeling, but what yeah. are the emotions that are driving? And that's what I want to find out. Yeah, yeah. What those emotions are. Because if I know what those emotions are, then I can key my conversation. I can key my content yeah. to drive more of that. Yeah. Now, 
the key with great marketing and, and great sales is that understanding what the problem is, <clears throat> understanding what the feelings are that are associated to that problem, and what the emotions are that are driving those feelings. On the opposite side, understanding what the resolution is. How does that make you feel? And what are the emotions that are going to drive that? Now, once I know that, now I can write copy, I can have a conversation to deal with that. Yeah. My job is to get you from here to here. Yeah. It's to get you crossing the bridge. And once you cross the bridge, you're crossing the bridge from sadness to happiness. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Frowny face to smiley face. Uh, sad face to smiley face. I mean, yeah. you know, that, that's a little um, a little simple, but it, it, that is exactly what it is. Every yeah. human being in the world. Yep. Yeah. Every human being in the world has two things in common. One, every human being wants to be happy. The caveat to that is some people are happy in their own misery. <laughs> Two, every human being is emotionally connected to their needs, wants, and desires in their life and their problems. Yeah. If you're a, a great marketer, a great marketer will be a problem solver. A great salesperson will be a problem solver. <clears throat> That's what we're here for. We're here to yeah. solve problems. It's, it's interesting as well, because as you were talking there, Randy, and I'm sure, you know, everybody listening was feeling the same, that, you know, when you look at a, an infant, when you look at a, a baby, everything is based upon emotion. You know, if they don't get what they want, they cry. You know, everything is emotion. As soon as we get into a classroom at school, and yes, you know, I take my hat off to everybody in education, but that's when we really get driven on the logic, don't we? And Well, we yeah. do, and you see... You know, and the thing is, too, is that um, I was always an advocate of education. And I, I look at it today a little bit differently. I mean, today I look at it as, you know, especially at the adolescent stages, it's programming. Mm. They're inserting programs into your brain. And they do it over such a long period of time that there's no escape from it. Yeah. And... Um, I learned this because um, history is his story. Yeah. Okay. Um, the, you know, you, you, when you're taught to add, you know, you, you add the one column, carry it over. It's a very slow way of doing it. Um, there's a reason for that. And I think that's by design. Yeah. Um, but we're constantly engaged from the time we're babies to the environment around us, the social, uh, social aspects. And even as a child, even as a, this is why a, a baby has uh, up until the age of six or seven, they don't develop a, um, a conscious mind. Everything they do is just strictly absorbing into the, yeah, into the uh, subconscious mind. <clears throat> and then one day they wake up and I guess they have a, uh, <laughs> a conscious mind and they can start making their own decisions. The, but for the first five to seven years, what is it doing? 
nature has a way of inserting those programs into your brain. Why? How many programs do you need to be a member of a family? How many programs, how many rules are there to being a member of a family, to being a member of a, a community? These are all programs that nature puts in in the very beginning. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. That's good. So I'm going to ask you to share one lesson, one tip, okay? Uh, something that uh, somebody listening to this podcast can take away and do something with within the next few days or within the next week. If you're going to share something, what, what do you want to share with those listening today? Don't make it about the money. Don't make it about the money. Okay. <laughs> when you go to see a new customer, it should always be about what you can do for them. What value can I deliver? You know, just a quick story about this, Simon. You know, um, when I go out to see a new customer, I'll, I'll turn around and I'll have a meeting with them. He'll say, well, what is this, Randy? What is this all going to cost? And I say, well, you know what? I, I really don't know. But let's have another meeting and we'll talk about it. Because that second meeting now gives me an opportunity to deliver more value. Yeah. So... After the first meeting, I get an idea of who he is and what he's doing. But do I really know the guy? No, I don't. Yeah. So after the second meeting now, after the first meeting, I can say, you know what? This guy could really use this, this, or this, and this. <clears throat> so now I want to deliver some real value to him in the second meeting. So second meeting, he turns around and he says to me, well, what's all this going to cost, Randy? I said, geez, man, I don't know. But let's have another meeting. We'll talk about it and see where we go from here. After the second meeting, I know more about what this guy wants. So now what I want to do is deliver even more value to this guy. So at the end of the third meeting, he says to me, well, Randy, come on. How much do I write the check for? And that's really that's where you shift. want to get. Yeah. That is it. Yeah. You see, everybody goes in there and they say, oh, well, you know, I'm a consultant. <clears throat> Pay me five thousand or ten thousand dollars, and I'll give you my, uh, uh, and I'll give you my uh, my advice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's, that's that's a good you story. Know Don't make it about the money. Make yeah. it about the customer, because your customer, if they if they love you, they'll stay with you. Yeah. You know the world is designed in such a way that you work first, get paid later. Hmm. Why should you be any exception to that rule? Yeah. If I take a job working for a company, <clears throat> I'm going to work two weeks and then they're going to pay me. Is that, is that the same in the UK? Yes, absolutely. Yep. Absolutely. So why should this be any different? Yeah. To me, I look at this and I think, look, you deliver your best. And don't worry about the money. Hmm. I would much rather have a guy who turns around and says to me, instead of giving me a check for $5,000 today, give me a check for $50,000 over the course of a year. Sure. Okay. Give me a check for 100000 over the course of a year. That is smart business. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. But people who try to deliver on something that they haven't got, is wrong yeah yeah so don't make it about the money i mean that's, that's a great tip great tip final question then randy 
if you were going to have your next coffee, okay, uh, and yeah. you were reading one of your favourite books on marketing, what would the book be and by whom? You mentioned a couple of authors. That's why I'm asking the question. Well, you know what? I don't, do we have time for a quick story? Yeah, yeah, sure, yeah. Forty years ago, I um, I was in school, and um, a friend of mine, uh, Dean, he came to me and he said, it was a Friday night, and he said to me, he says, uh, hey, do you want to go down to the Skyline Hotel in Toronto? I said, why, what's going on? He says, well, there's a motivator guy down there, and I said, and he says, I got a couple of tickets for it. I said, okay, what's a motivator guy? He says, I don't know. But he says, you got anything to do? I said, no. He said, well, let's go see what it's all about. I said, okay. So off we go. We go down to see this motivator guy. And the guy comes out. With, the room could hold maybe a couple of hundred people. And yeah. I mean, there wasn't many people there. I was So there was enough seats in the front. So we went down. Dean and I sat in the front. And um, so we get down there. He, the guy comes out. He says, uh, well, he says, there's not a lot of people here, but he says, you know, would you mind if I did my presentation anyway? I said, absolutely. Let's, let's let it run. Yep. So he, uh, he turns around, he does. And, uh, he says, comes out, he goes backstage, comes back out. He says, hi, my name is Bob Proctor. And he walked us through this whole process. Anyway, um, after the whole show was over, he sat down on the edge of the stage and I, I sat there and we were talking and <clears throat> I found this guy so interesting, like a really interesting guy. And um, I told him about my dad and I told him about, you know, all the things that were going on. You know, he started giving me some really in great insights and um, I, I, Bob and I had been friends for 40 years and he passed away last year, God rest his soul. And, um, uh, but for me, um, Bob Proctor was uh, instrumental in my life. Mm. So one of the books that he gave me uh, years ago, and I've still got it here today, is uh, Thinking Grow Rich. And I think uh, that's one of the okay. most, uh, you know, I'm a big fan of Napoleon Hill, always have been. Yeah. Um, Outwitting the Devil is another great book by him. Yeah. You know, um, but I would highly recommend, you know, the laws of the universe. Okay. The laws of the universe are, and I, I'm pretty sure that was put out by Bob Proctor, but the laws of the universe are very defined. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. You know, okay. like attracts like. Yeah. You know, uh, what you put out, you get back. Yeah. So this is why when people turn around and they say, well, you know what, my, my life doesn't change. Yeah, 80,000 thoughts a day. But the interesting part about that is that 95% of those thoughts you're having today are the same thoughts you had yesterday. <laughs> and you'll have tomorrow. <laughs> so why would why would your life change? Yeah. Well, I read the self-help book. Yeah. That's not going to change your paradigm. Your paradigm is a, is a, uh, a culmination of habits. Hmm. How do you break that? Well, you do them one by one at a time. You tear yeah. them apart. You start looking at your life for what it is. To me, the laws of the universe, like attracts like. When you turn around and you say, oh, well, you know, I'm poor. I'm broke. 
the universe says, yeah, you know what? Here's some more being broke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here's exactly. Some more. Yeah. <laughs> And you and I can have that conversation later, but the, well, that's a completely different podcast, isn't it? We could go on for another is, forty-five is. minutes for that. But so I think, yeah, you're giving us quite a lot there, uh, Randy. And thanks for that. So Bob Proctor, yeah, you know, uh, I'm, I, I, I'm sure a lot of the books that he uh, has probably read and given you over the years uh, are, are important. But Napoleon Hill, Think and Grow Rich, uh, yeah, that's and Laws of the Universe yeah. as well. So that's quite a few things we can list down there. You've been an amazing guest. Thank you so much for for you know coping with the uh, the ongoing recovery from the illness and and talking to us today and forgiving us so much. And I think you know for me, you know you you said affectionately known as a fearless marketer. You know one of the things you said right at the beginning is the importance of kindness in sales as well. And I think yes. you know that's something I should take away. And that's that's a legacy to you, and it's a legacy to your father as well. So thank you for sharing so much Thanks today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Great. Thank you so much for having me, Simon. It's been a pleasure. I hope you have me back on your show again. Absolutely. We've got so much more we could talk about. We could sit here all oh, afternoon. Sure so yeah, definitely. So listeners, all you need to do now is look through the show notes, visit the website that will be in there, reach out to Randy, you know, have a look at what he's all about uh, and, and let him know what you took away from today's podcast. And also, leave us a review. Subscribe so you get to know when the next ones are coming up. And of course, you know, have a look at some of the prior episodes as well. But most importantly, it, it is to do something with what you've heard today. You know, and that final tip of don't make it about the money, I think is so much of an important tip with the story that Randy shared. So go away from today's podcast and do something within the next week that makes a difference and makes you shift from perhaps the process you're doing at the moment to a process where it's not about the money. And as always, I'll see you on the next podcast. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. Don't forget, if you'd like any help and support with your business, do get in touch with Simon. And to discover what your business needs you to fix next, visit www.sterlingcoaching.fixthisnext.com. Please do subscribe so you don't miss the next episode. And Simon would love you to rate and review the show too. Thank you.